Hello and welcome to the Law Blacks one-to-one podcast. My name's Chris Allen. I'm the managing partner of Black Solicitors. I've worked in West Yorkshire for over 25 years. and During that time, I've met some very interesting people in both the business world and the sports world. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to be catching up with some more of those people to share with you some of their opinions, advice and stories. I hope you'll find the interviews interesting, engaging and even, in some cases, educational. As ever at this point, I always like to just thank uh, Pete Bott and his uh, band Deuce and Charger for allowing us the rights to use their music uh, on this podcast. Pete used to work with us and uh, he has indeed his own podcast if you'd like to listen to some drum and bass uh, music. So today we've broken with tradition and rather than record the podcast from our offices at City Point in the heart of the business district of Leeds, we've gone on the road and we've moved up to Emerald Headingley Stadium which, as many of you will know, is the home of Yorkshire Cricket Club and the Leeds Rhinos. On that basis, not that surprisingly, my guest today is Mark Arthur, the Chief Executive of Yorkshire County Cricket Club. Mark's held this position for over seven years, and before that, Mark held a similar position at Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club and Nottingham Forest. Our paths first crossed during the Tim Breston benefit year, and I'm looking forward to asking Mark about recent developments at Yorkshire and life as a chief executive of a worldwide brand. So, uh, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. As you'd expect, I've got a few questions. Thanks for inviting us up here to the um, Headingley Emerald Stadium. Um, There's been lots of development going on here, Mark. Uh, Can you just summarise what's actually been done if there's anything else to do, and what benefits do you think that's going to bring to the people of this of, of Yorkshire? So um, soon after I arrived uh, at, uh, at Emerald Headingley, I realised that um, we were due to lose our international cricket status at the end of 2019 unless we did something about the fabric of the ground, uh, the environment, and um, uh, that the customers uh, came came to. Because over the years, people have become far more discerning about the quality of the facilities when they spend six to seven hours uh, at a major event, and quite rightly. Uh, Unfortunately, at that time, we had a debt of £25 million, and we had a turnover of £6.7 million, and we were losing £1.4 million of cash. So it was a bit of a problem. Uh, But fortunately, with uh, the great help of, of Paul Hudson, our finance director, and Steve Dennison, the, the then uh, chairman, restructured the, the finances uh, and then we gave ourselves a, a more solid platform in which to move forward, um, which has culminated with the uh, building in conjunction with the Leeds Rhinos of the, the Emerald Stand, uh, which as we look out the window today is, is, is opposite us and, and quite resplendent. And that was um, built, uh, that was completed in May 2019 in time for the ICC Cricket World Cup and what is now being renowned as the Ben Stokes Ashes, (laughs) probably one of the greatest uh, cricket matches of all time and it was played here at at Emerald Headingley so uh, we were very very grateful but without the completion uh, of that development which cost uh, us in the region of £18 million. That was our contribution towards the overall scheme, which cost £43 million with the two rugby stands. Uh, then we would have been behind many other grounds in the country 
with regard to uh, the ability to stage international matches. Uh, my stated objective was to uh, get Emerald Headingley into the top four. Um, I believe that we are currently in the top five, uh, but still more things to do. Well, fantastic. So, in terms of the confidence then to get international cricket, you're feeling vastly more confident than the day you walk through the door, I take it? Yeah, I have to pinch myself um, as to where the, the uh, off-the-field team have, have got us. I think seven years ago, if we'd have said we'd be looking out at, at that stand, we'd have just recorded record profits, EBITDA of 6.45 million on a turnover of 18 million. I would have said, I'll take that. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that is that is what has happened. Uh, and like, you know, when uh, and you and your colleagues have grown your your practice, you know, a lot of hard work and dedication goes into it. It doesn't just happen overnight. Um, and, you know, I'm surrounded by the best executive team that I've experienced in my, my working life. Well, let's just, let's just touch on that then, if you don't mind, Mark, because uh, I think most people's ears will prick up when they hear you work for a professional football club as well as a cricket club. What, what would you say the main differences in being a chief executive of a cricket club are compared to a, a football club? So I was chief executive of uh, another worldwide brand, Nottingham Forest, because of Brian Clough and uh, winning back-to-back uh, 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 European Cups, as they were called in those days. I was there for 13 years. Um, and I was uh, uh, recruited by a new incoming chairman uh, called Nigel Doughty. And Nigel uh, comes from the, the, the venture capitalist world. Uh, and um, he wanted to invest in his, uh, his hometown club. Uh, he was brought up on a local uh, council estate many years ago, made his, uh, made his way in the world incredibly successful. And he wanted somebody to come in and run it on a day-to-day basis. Initially, with no um, uh, authority over the football side, which, quite frankly, suited me just fine. Um, <laughs> but after a couple of years, he asked me to get more involved in that side of the, of, of the business. The CEO at um, uh, in football is more like a chief operating officer in that you take your instructions from the owner because... In the majority of cases, um, and certainly in championship football, we see that in Leeds and, and still uh, uh, with, with Nottingham Forest, then the, the club is beholden to the owner uh, for cash injections on a pretty regular basis. So you run it as a chief operating officer, uh, whereas here uh, at Yorkshire, I am the chief executive. I do make all the day-to-day uh, decisions and I report into a board on six occasions a year and to the members, our stakeholders, uh, once a year at the AGM. This podcast is, needless to say, sponsored by Black Solicitors. Black's is a law firm based in Leeds. We provide a range of commercial, property and private client services to clients throughout the United Kingdom. Obviously, I'd love you to enjoy this podcast and then use our services on any legal issues you have going forward. If you visit lawblacks.com, you'll see the kind words that existing clients have had to say about the services we provide. Now, back to the podcast. And you say the pressures are different? And did you, 
I mean, in football, you hear of so many people coming and going in different roles, particularly managers. Obviously, did you did you feel that sort of pressure when working at a football club that one day the door might open and and you're exiting? Well, it, everything it, seems a bit more stable yes. in cricket world. Yeah, it, it depends on the ownership. And um, you know, with Nigel, he brought me in to do a, a specific specific job. He knew that he was the ultimate decision maker. Um, and whilst we would uh, have robust uh, discussions behind closed doors um, when a decision was made then I would carry that out um, uh, accordingly um, I think the, prob- the stability side of football uh, I was fortunate in having Nigel as, as, as my, uh, my chairman but unfortunately when he died soon after that uh, we had to sell the business which was insolvent like most football clubs without uh, uh, um, the, uh, the support of a, an owner, and um, you know it was very hard to 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 then work for the the new owners. And unfortunately, sport in these in, in this day, the, and perhaps it's a result of social media. There's the blame culture. It's the blame game. Sport is uh, a not a perfect science, and that's why we all love it, because you turn up to a game and you've got absolutely no idea who's going to win. You hope your team wins. Sometimes you expect your team uh, to win. But then you leave the ground, uh, maybe you've lost, and suddenly it's somebody else's fault for losing that, that game. Who do you blame? Um, and sometimes there's a trickle-down effect, and unfortunately it is the manager that's often uh, to blame. Fans won't often blame the owner because they, they recognise that you know, without the owner putting in many millions of pounds a year, then they, uh, there, is no, uh, there is no club. Um, but eventually, as we see, as we're currently talking, you know, sometimes the fans do turn on the owners, and that can become very, very difficult. Somewhere in the middle there is a chief executive who is trying to spin plates all the time, keeping the various stakeholders uh, as content as you, as you possibly can. You're, you're the person behind the scenes. And eventually, you know, uh, as hard as I tried you know, to keep my profile uh, as low as I possibly could, um, then you know, there were times when uh, you know, people decided that it was my fault that we were losing games of football. But... Uh, you know, I wasn't the person that was picking the team. I wasn't the person doing the coaching. I wasn't selecting the players. I was just the functionary behind the scenes, making sure that um, we were uh, um, a very organised uh, football club, and and you know, we we were still going to exist at the at the end of the week. The interesting difference between uh, cricket and football is that. Football is incredibly volatile, dependent on your results. Whereas cricket, you can write your budget at the beginning of the season, and you know there's going to be one or two little differences, but it's they're not going to be uh, game changers. In football, you know you suddenly lose three three matches, and the crowds drop off, uh, the feel good factor disappears. Maybe you suddenly decide to change your manager. And, of course, there's going to be financial implications of, of doing that. Um, so they are, they are poles apart from a, a chief executive's uh, perspective. And here now at Yorkshire, I see you as a, a, obviously a, a, 
the spokesperson of the club in many regards. Have you? Do you enjoy the sort of the public aspect of the job? Have, have you done a lot of training on media training? Did you, is that something you sort of actively did, or are you just you just got good at it because you're experienced at it? So I suppose um, it was a case of learning on the job. Before I was at uh, Trent Bridge, I worked for what is now the England and Wales Cricket Board. Um, and I was the person in the early 90s that used to travel around the grounds as the match manager. Um, so I would be um, liaising between the ground authority, uh, the sponsor and the TV company. We were a much smaller organisation in those days. So I had the profile, but I, I always said to myself, you know, it's not about me, it's about the sport. So I've tried to stay in the background as much as I can. Sometimes you have to put yourself up forward um, and uh, uh, and often when things are going wrong, you know, you, you've got to be the, the face of the organisation and, and front things up. Uh, so I, I do do that, but I, you know, when we are successful, I, I try to stay in the background. So, you know, we've been fortunate in 2014, 2015 to have won the county championship here. Uh, you don't see me anywhere around uh, in photographs. No, I don't. Or, I don't remember or, seeing a picture of you with a trophy no, on your head. Or uh, no, that, yeah. that's not that's not my that's not, you. That's, that's not me. Um, you know, we've had record results, um, and you know, other people I've you know allowed to go forward to talk about the finances rather than it being uh, the big I am because I'm actually very lucky to have this job, and I also. Um, think it's all about the sport and not uh, any individual and fundamentally it's all about the players absolutely so let's talk about Yorkshire for a, for, for a second so Yorkshire County Cricket Club is obviously a worldwide brand uh, it turns over tens of millions not hundreds of millions of pounds how big is Yorkshire Cricket Club how many staff have you got because I think some people might think this is a bigger organisation than it actually is but you've somehow got to manage a worldwide brand yeah, um, and and the perception is is that it's massive. And then when you get into conversations with people, as I articulated earlier, it was used to be six point seven million uh, turnover in twenty eighteen. It was about nine million, uh, and in twenty nineteen, because of the Ashes and the ICC World Cup and the new the benefits of the the new stand, then it's popped up to to eighteen million. But it's it will sort of level out at sort of. Uh, early teens uh, with regard to uh, to turnover um, staff wise in 2018 we had full time equivalent 51 and ironically in a year where we doubled our turnover uh, staff actually dropped by one head count so we went down to 50 yeah. and I learned quite a few lessons with um, working for Nigel Cap- Doughty as a, a he was a venture capitalist a very generous man, actually, uh, which is quite unusual for a yes. VC. You saw the shocked uh, look on my face. <laughs> but um, when it come, came to running a business, uh, he knew how to keep the, the overheads down. And he we got relegated from the championship to League One. And whilst we had a fairly lean staff at Nottingham Forest, he insisted I got rid of more people. And I said, we, we just won't be able to function properly. And he said... Trust me, you will. So we lost uh, a a number of staff. And when we were promoted back up to the championship, I never replaced them. Mm -hmm. So when I came here, um, Colin Graves, the then chairman, said that um, 
I've cut it back as far as I can. Do not cut it back any further. <laughs> what I've tried to do is in- increase uh, revenue, uh, but maintain uh, a firm uh, hold over expenditure. And of course, the biggest expenditure is is uh, the the employment side. Um, you do have to increase in certain areas from from time to time. But what I fundamentally didn't want to do in a in a, a year of boom uh, last year was to recruit a lot of people, and then when we return to normal, then have to get rid of uh, uh, people. Um, so, and the other benefit of of, of that philosophy is that. I cannot stand um, office politics. And if you keep people really busy and you look after them, and I'm not just talking about financially, but you look after them and treat them as a a valued uh, colleague, you find there's less time for backbiting and interdepartmental disputes and such like. And that, you know, we go back to the drawing a parallel really with the sporting side. If you've got a good dressing room, it means that the environment is right and you've got the right people in there. It's exactly the same with regard to uh, our, our office structure. So I like to keep them lean and keen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we'll call this podcast, shall we, <laughs> when I write it up. Um, just tell me about the, the roles of how you work then with Martin Moxon. He's director of cricket, Andrew Gale, first team coach. How, how does that all work between the three of you? Who's making the call on recruitment? Who's making the call on other sort of decisions about the, the, the team? Okay, so with regard to players, that ultimately is down to Martin Moxon. He will consult with his coaching staff, in, including Andrew Gale. Andrew is there to coach the players. And whilst he'll have significant input, as will the captain on on the players that take the, the, the field of play, um, uh, with regard to the actual recruitment, that is very much Martin Motson. I will ha- give Martin a framework budget. I will challenge him on on who he's recruiting and why, but ultimately that that is his decision. So it would be wrong for me as an enthusiastic amateur, <laughs> albeit I've been around professional sport for, for 30 years, to uh, effectively pick, pick the players and pick the team. So... We're very fortunate in Yorkshire in that you know, our players come up through a pathway system. You know, 85% are you know, home, homegrown talent. So we see them, uh, the pathways is, is headed up by Jim Love, the ex-Yorkshire and, and England uh, uh, player. Uh, and then he hands over the best uh, young recruits to the academy structure. Uh, and then they hand over the best recruits to the young professional second team structure. And there's quite a bit of movement between those. So when it comes to um, f- full-time professionals, we've seen those uh, players for a number of years. We've got to know what they're like, as not only as players, but also as characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have a pretty robust process. It's when you're recruiting from outside... Um, and we've just recently recruited David uh, Milan, mm. that you ask more questions, or I ask those questions of Martin. Why? Why, why uh, that particular type of player? And why, you know, what, what's he like as a, as a person? 
Um, and cricket, professional cricket is a very small world. So you get to know most things about most people. So you can um, find out pretty easily, I yeah, guess, yes. about people's temperament, etc. Yes, and how, how they're perceived. And obviously their stats are there for, for every, everybody to see. But it's not just about that. So you have to have the right character. Yorkshire is a really tough county to come into. If you're an outsider and you don't have uh, you know, r- really good skills and you don't have the strength of character then it's absolutely pointless coming to Yorkshire. And, you know, the recruitment that they've made over the, over the years, when I first arrived, uh, Jack Brooks and um, Liam Plunkett and, and Andrew Hodd all came in from, from the outside. Those decisions were made before my time. Um, but you could see why those decisions you know, were made. And they settled into the environment. They didn't try and change the environment they they settled in uh, very well too. At that time, the dressing room was was run by the then captain Andrew Gale, um, and that was a very strong unit. Um, and of course, they were hugely successful in 2014 and 2015. Nearly were in 2013. Nearly were in 2016. It was actually a golden a golden age. So that that external recruitment probably needs more of a forensic test than uh, when, when you're seeing uh, young players developing through the system. In terms of people running businesses, then, you're a, you're a fan, as I am, of, of, of nurturing talent and bringing them through the ranks and, and developing Yeah, them. definitely. Re- the recruitment process is really important. So the interview process, and, and if you've got any doubts, then you know, move on to the, the next candidate, I, I would say. And that's exactly what we've looked at with regard to the office-based staff. Um, it's the character of the person is far more important than their, their qualifications. I like can-do people uh, that will roll their sleeves up and get stuck in. You ask them to do something out of their comfort zone, out of their particular sphere, and you know, do, what sort of reaction do you, do you get from them? And then once you're convinced about them, and it can take you know, a couple of years you know, for the full character to really come out, uh, and then you you look after them, uh, you nurture their their talent, you give them every opportunity to develop, and you reward accordingly. Let's turn to what's going to happen on this pitch in the not too distant future. The hundred tournaments coming. Yes. Um, some people listening to this might be nodding sagely that they know all about it. Some might think, "What's that?" Uh, and I suppose one of the questions I might have for you is. Can you can you tell us a bit about the tournament and were you always a fan of it and what do you think it's going to do for cricket? Well, we're hopeful that it's going to inspire future generations um, and effectively it's a tournament that's been devised for the best players to play against each other over a short period of time. Um, whether it was going to be another form of T20 or as it is, the 100 was very much open to debate and I don't think we'll be able to assess that properly until we've seen it. In many ways, it's quite good for us as the Yorkshire County Cricket Club that it's a different product from the, the T20 Vitality Blast, uh, which is something that we are desperate to win this year. Um, because the supporters, the members, the stakeholders can differentiate between the two competitions. So I think that's probably quite a good thing. Although initially I said, well, why introduce another format of, of cricket? But then I rationalised myself, you know, if you own uh, a, a 
confectionery company. You don't just necessarily have one brand of, of chocolate bar. And you perhaps have different types of chocolate bars for, um, di- for the discerning taste. So when you're younger, you probably like something a lot sweeter. And when you're old and grey like me, you probably go for a more refined chocolate bar with a greater cocoa uh, <laughs> content in it. So I think this gives us the opportunity to um, maybe attract uh, a new younger audience, both male and female. It's just been announced that the um, prize money is going to be split equally between male and female, which I think is a, a very positive statement of intent. And hopefully over a period of time, we can take these young boys and girls and people that perhaps didn't have uh, an understanding or association with cricket on a journey to eventually look forward to a day of uh, test match cricket at, at Emerald Headingley at some time in the future. So, actually, I have to be honest, I like all chocolate. Yeah. So, and again, I will, I will embrace all, all cricket uh, as well. And we have many different types of cricket played in the amateur game. Uh, it's just great to focus on it uh, when it comes to the, the professional setup. And in terms of the, the, the 100 tournament here, how big a, how much of your time has been spent on that or will, will be spent on that? Well, as my staff will tell you, I'm a wonderful delegator. Um, and we've created um, uh, split jobs uh, for a number of people. So Andy Dawson is the general manager uh, for both uh, the, the women and, and the men. Um, I'm on the board, so along with our chair, Ms. Heather Jackson, and the chief executive of, of Durham County Cricket Club, Tim Bostock, we selected the coaches, um, Danny Hazel and, uh, and Darren Lehman, and then we let them, the, you know, the general manager and, the, and the, the head coaches get on with, with running it. We support behind with the administration structure. My role as chief executive of the Yorkshire County Cricket Club is fundamentally to stage four fabulous games of cricket here at Emerald Headingley um, for the men uh, one double header with the women two matches at York and one at South Northumberland uh, Cricket Club just outside uh, New- Newcastle so um, I have a bit like when we're staging matches on behalf of England here at Emerald Headingley I have to make sure that you know we've got full houses and that the, the whole environment is conducive to that of the highest uh, level of cricket that we can possibly play. Excellent. So you've mentioned, uh, well, that all sounds very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. The T20 obviously sounds like a priority. To T20 extent. is massive for us. Um, in fact, we've just been on sale for one week with our uh, uh, blast uh, tickets against Lancashire and sold over 10,000 tickets in one week. We've only got 5,000 left to sell because the rest are, are corporate. And that, uh, year on year, you, you will sell a certain period of time away from the match. Um, and although the match last year took place in, in, uh, in July, I believe, it's, it's 51 days earlier this year. So we started the sales process 51 days earlier. And um, our, our sales pattern is well above where it was 51 days uh, before uh, last year's match. So we are so excited about that. And I think this is part of the legacy that came from last year, that you know, 
the spectacular ashes, a fantastic World Cup. You know, who will ever forget <laughs> that final at Lords? Who will ever understand what really happened with the super over and the ex- the overthrows? It was surreal. It was comic book stuff. Uh, but it, I think it did engage an awful lot more people and, and hopefully uh, uh, you know, has inspired people to come along and watch some high-class cricket this year. And importantly, young people, I think, yeah. you know. You see the demographic now. Um, you're not surprised there are so many girls and so many women watching watching the men's game. It's a great day out. There are no problems uh, with regard to um, offensive behaviour by by other uh, spectators. Uh, that that has been eradicated uh, over the years. We I have a zero tolerance policy because we want to create an environment here for the family, and it's also very affordable. Excellent. I've been behaving myself since I walked around. You'd be pleased to hear. Um, so, what about the, the the normal Yorkshire cricket team? The new seasons come in. Uh, Steve Patterson's the captain this year. Obviously, Steve's been here a long time as well. I suspect played all his career, has he? Has yes, Steve? he has. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if Steve was sat with us, what would he be telling me about the the season coming up? Well, Steve is is not the most um, uh, effusive of, of characters. Um, and he's not nearly as positive as I am, but even he has admitted that we've got a really good chance this year. So we've we've got a squad of 30 players, um, and that is probably six more than we would normally carry. One of the reasons behind that is that we some players develop a little bit slower than others, and we want to give some of those that are, are, are transitioning through from the academy just a bit more time, uh, to have a chance because they're trying to break into a team that was full of uh, champions um, and and we've talked about the transitioning effect I now think that we've got a really well balanced squad uh, where you've got some senior pros who've been there and done it you've got some hungry uh, pros who haven't achieved it but have now reached their uh, their maturity and then you've got the young guns coming up behind that want some of uh, that that success and want to prove themselves uh, as Yorkshire professional cricketers. So Steve, uh, who has he was a late developer himself. He went to the University of Leeds um, and uh, played a lot of second team cricket uh, and didn't get his cap, I believe, until 2012. Um, so he was in his in his late 20s when he when he got that. Um, there's a quiet confidence around the whole squad. Um, and if ever he was going to go down in the annals of Yorkshire history as a, as a, a championship winning captain, this is the year. Right. No pressure, Steve. We're, uh, we're looking forward to, to seeing how that pans out. Just a, a final question. Um, what advice, I always like to ask people what advice they'd give. What advice would you give somebody who wants to get involved in sports administration? Let's say uh, somebody who's coming out of university. What, what's the best piece of advice you can give them? Well, I... From my point of view, there are two routes. One, you come out of sports administration or come into sports administration often through the volunteering route. So, a number of university students volunteer either for the uh, the foundation uh, here or the the cricket board or the or the cricket club in some sort of capacity, or casual members of staff uh, working in the cricket school uh, in the evening or you know, working on the catering side side of things. Or you get other people that have a professional career and get to a certain point where, say, 
you know what, you know, I've got my skill set as a lawyer, um, but I would now like to uh, to use that skill set uh, and go into into sport and, and transfer across. My I didn't come into professional sport until I was thirty two, uh, but I had a background in in retail and and publishing, which was relevant to what was required at the then Teston County Cricket Board in in uh, uh, the early nineties. But I had played to quite a high standard as an amateur. Um, I played all my age group cricket for uh, for Surrey, um, and I stopped when I went to work for Marks and Spencer. So I had a knowledge and understanding of of, uh, of the game uh, to a certain level. And then when I came in uh, to the Chester County Cricket Board, and I was um, communicating with. Uh, uh, a number of the players at that time I played with and against them as, as a youngster, as an amateur so I wasn't seen as that brown nosed marketing guy that was you know suddenly oh I'm a, I'm a fan you know you, I, I just I treated it very much as a job I never um, I didn't ever uh, aspire to move into sports administration because you know in the 80s and, and the early 90s you know, it wasn't necessarily a career. It's just, it's happened for me. And all all I've tried to do is, is work as hard as I can and be the best I, I can be at the job that I'm doing. And things have worked out magnificently for me by you know, just being who I am and working as hard as I possibly can. So I don't think there's one specific route into sports administration. You can go through a whole process and and see how far that will take you. The advantage of coming from outside with a professional qualification is that if sports administration doesn't quite work for you, you've always got something to go back to. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Mark, um, this year, uh, 2020, is Adam Lyth's testimonial year. Adam's played for the club for a long time, uh, and on his behalf, thank you for uh, to the club for awarding that testimonial. Um, just talk, talk to me about testimonials generally uh, and how a club gets around to acknowledging somebody like, like Adam. Well, Adam was, I believe, first spotted um, playing uh, cricket at, at Scarborough um, and has come through our, our system. I mean, he's quite unique in that he travels from Whitby on a daily basis. Obviously, when we've got a four-day county championship match, he stays, stays overnight. But... Um, he is the, the epitome of, uh, of a Yorkshire cricket, cricketer. Um, he's had a taste of international cricket. I think he was slightly unfortunate that he didn't get a, a, a longer spell. Um, for us, he's a 360-degree player that uh, not only is a brilliant batsman in all forms of the game, but uh, he can bowl some dodgy off-spin as well. And he's a phenomenal fielder, both... Um, both close to the wicket and 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 out in in the deep, um, so a huge talent. Normally, a player is rewarded with a testimonial ten years after they've been a, a capped player. To get a cap for Yorkshire is a lot harder than getting a, a cap for a uh, another county, and so you know, we we sort of break that unwritten rule, if you like, about you know if it's eight nine years, but. They've been part of the setup, on, and and there might be other players behind Lithey that, in short order, 
uh, will uh, be rewarded with a testimonial. You, you, you can fast track somebody ever so slightly. But uh, Adam has been rewarded by the members who want to recognise uh, the huge um, contribution he has made to Yorkshire cricket during that time. And that is what a testimonial is about. Cricketers are not as well paid as, as um, uh, footballers, for example. They're, they're better, well, better paid than they, they used to be. Uh, and with the advent of uh, T20 franchise cricket around the world, um, they do have a, a greater opportunity. But this is, the, this is the, the, the method whereby the members and the stakeholders can say to somebody like Adam, thank you for your contribution and we want to help you on to the next phase of your life with, uh, with a little bit of, of financial support so that when your career finishes uh, with um, Yorkshire County Cricket Club or any other county, then you have got something to fall back on or you have then have the ability to retrain and go into uh, a, another form of, form of business. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So uh, that is what a testimonial is all about. And, and uh, a testimonial is not the end of the line. I mean, he's just extended his contract, hasn't he? Yes, he has, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and he's an incredibly fit person, and uh, I, I see no reason why, if he's still producing the goods and he keeps himself fit, then you know it, it, it won't get extended uh, further. Well, thanks very much for that. In the short time we've been together, the sun's gone, but it was shining earlier, and I have to say, Headingley, looked, Headingley Emerald Stadium looked absolutely fantastic. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for your for your candid opinions, and uh, I'll see. I suspect I'll see a fair bit of you this year uh, with my involvement with Adam Lyle's testimony year. But thanks again. Pleasure.